As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And in three, two, and one. This week, this, 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 this week, this week, this, 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 this week, this week in Geek. This week in Geek, we talk about the Game Awards drama, Pokemon, and chess boxing. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another week of the This Week in Geek podcast. I almost said the other name again, and I caught myself. <laughs> Yay. I caught myself this time. It's been 17 weeks, and, I, and I'm, I'm finally getting around to not saying it. <laughs> How have you been, Kevin? <laughs> Uh, I've I've been good. It's just been uh, a busy busy weekend for the most part, and uh, and a lot of stuff that I had to keep in mind as we were uh, getting ready for this week. So, um, first I did I did a uh, Pokemon cast on the eleventh. Uh, that was the charity event for special event or special effect, um, which provides controllers and um, technology to help people with physical disabilities, um. And yeah, we did really well. We went over our goal of like five hundred dollars. I think we went to seven hundred ish. So that was oh, pretty nice. good. Um, immediately after that, I watched the chess boxing match, which we'll we'll talk about later uh, in the in the podcast. But that was a lot of fun. Um, and then yesterday, um, I went to a. Uh, a holiday party for for the old workplace that I used to work for. So, yeah, yeah, I'm still allowed in there for some reason. I don't I don't know. Uh, but the uh, we we had like a Secret Santa gift exchange. We uh, had like a buffet of food that we could just kind of pick at. Uh, just kind of hung out, met everybody. It, it was a lot of fun. So, and yeah, that that has been my week. Uh, what what about you, Matt? How is everything on your end? Uh, it's been a lot of existential dread and stuff like that. <laughs> just figuring out, am I going to go to grad school? If I do go to grad school, what am I going to do? Am I going to get an RN? Am I going to become a teacher? Am I, if I do, do uh, if I if I do become an RN, yes, I'm going to 
be making more money than I do now, but like, am I going to hate my life because I'm surrounded by fluids all day? Um, and just doing the nurse thing. And I don't know if that's something I'd be into if I become a teacher, I think I would enjoy it, but also it's like, uh, I'm going to be making less money for a significant amount of time. Like already, um, I think it would take me at least five years and having a master's degree and like maxing out on like the potential pay scale to be making, I think like 60 something thousand, which is more than I'm making now, but like that's, that's five years of being actually working as a teacher and being out of grad school. So there's that. And then there's also the, the option of like, I'm just panicking, just stick with the job I have now because it's easy and I like it. And I'm making more money than I would as a teacher because either way I would go with grad school, I would not be working for about two years. I would be unemployed for two years while I go to school. And it's like, ah, do I really want that? That's that, that may not be the best plan, but it's also like, if I'm going to do it, it's probably like a good idea to do it now. So lots of existential dread there. Um, on a non-existential dread note, um, we had our first game of the season. We, we took a season off for the Zomniks. We came back this season. Um, we had our first game and we won three to one. So um, this is not back to the old days of the Zomniks losing every single match. So we still good. We still good. We got it. So that's that's been the week. I, I just saw this this uh this tweet from so we we have a train system up here. It's called Bay Area Rapid Transit, right? The or BART. BART uh, right. Um they they tweeted out I think it was like a couple hours ago, but it just hit my like feed. But uh apparently they're having a Twitch live stream with a bunch of with a with a couple of uh VTubers. <laughs> so What? So I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, what does this mean? Uh, I remember them running a art contest for like emotes, I think, and I was like, this mm-hmm. is just for stickers, right? So, uh, but uh, but apparently they they have a Twitch page. Uh, so I I guess I gotta subscribe to my local rapid transit system. <laughs> okay, Bart, you can do that. Okay. They're, they're they're making moves. <laughs> they're being relevant. Uh, anyway, let's get to the news of the week. Um, last week was the Game Awards, and we covered them, but we didn't cover. I think what were some of, were probably the two bigger stories of the Game Awards. Um, things that kind of lingered and were talked about after the actual event went down. So the first one is. This is a kid, quote unquote kid, got arrested at the Game Awards for joining the entourage for Elden Ring when he mm-hmm. wasn't really part of it at all. And he he had a shout out at the end. He, again, he wasn't supposed to be there and the, they hadn't turned the mic off at this point. But he he came up and he said, I think I think it was uh, I, I know I have Bill Clinton in it. That's- <laughs> yeah. OK, so he said uh, he said, where is it? I had it. I just I have too many pages open. My reformed Orthodox rabbi Bill yeah. Clinton was it that? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would like to thank, or I would like to dedicate or thank my re- fellow reformed or- Orthodox rabbi Bill Clinton. Um, so that happened, and he was apparently arrested afterwards. Uh, and this isn't the first time he's done something like this, though. His name is Matan Evan, or 
Evan or Evan. Uh, and he, I think, first was noticed because the first time he did this was um, during a World of Warcraft panel, I think in 2017. And he's, he was shouting at that point, um, Free Hong Kong, which, okay, fine. Free Hong Kong, that's a good one. Um, but considering later down the line, he appeared on InfoWars to talk about his own stuff uh, and his, his platform. And InfoWars, if you don't know, is Alex Jones's far right wing conspiracy theory. Let's sell you muscle supplements and wear a tinfoil hat and shout about the frogs being gay in the water or whatever. That That's what InfoWars is. Um, and considering that everything that has been going on with Kanye talking about Jewish folks, and then now he's come up and said this thing about Bill Clinton, which on its face seems kind of ridiculous and funny or weird. Um, but when you look at who Matan Evan is and the people he's associated with and everything that's going on with the current political climate, there's a good chance he was being anti-Semitic there. We don't know for sure. On his Twitter account, he said that he would release more details to come, but haven't even bothered to look there because I don't honestly care about this kid. And considering he's been on InfoWars, I don't want to care about this kid. I'm just bringing it up because it was at the Game Awards. That's the only reason why I'm bringing this up. And it was probably one of the two bigger stories that came out of it that wasn't actually related to video games. Yeah, I heard the same thing. Uh, I heard it immediately after because, like, a lot of people were like, oh, it's some stupid kid. And then, like, people started digging and they're like, he was on InfoWars. He was, you know, spreading misinformation. And we're like, oh, that's not that's not harmless anymore. Uh, yeah, it's no longer a joke. Good thing we like everybody was like he, he was arrested immediately after. Um, I was like, OK, yeah, I mean. You literally snuck on immediately after Elden Ring, so that's that's to you guys. <laughs> and then the uh, the other big story out of this um, Game Awards this year was Flute Guy, whose name is Pedro Eustache. He is a Latin American flautist, and everyone was just very, very impressed by his very um, passionate and energized and enthusiastic playing of the several flutes that he brought up to play um, yeah he he was amazing honestly uh if yeah if the the whole thing at the end wasn't stolen by the, the kid who rushed the stage it, it would have been flute guy for about a, a, a few hours after the game awards yeah and uh the thing is he, he's actually a very well-known flautist he's performed on in a lot of films and a lot of soundtracks in hollywood um the funny thing is is that he even though he's playing at the game awards and he's been on i guess a few game soundtracks he's never actually played video games well that's that's gonna change pretty <laughs> soon isn't it i mean i'd hope i mean it, come on dude why, why not just have some fun with it but he says that he it, for him like just his entertainment and enjoyment is comes from studying music um he said that he when he heard these uh he he appreciates video game music and listening to it and he appreciates performing video game music it's just like the actual playing of video games 
isn't for him, which I mean, I respect it. It's fine if it's not for you. It's like playing physical sports he, generally isn't for me. He he just hasn't found the right game yet, and I I know the exact game that we need I to think get I know him to what play. Game you're gonna suggest. Um, I I I will gift it to. I will gift it to him. If you want a copy of Trombone Champ, I will, I will pay for your copy so you can enjoy it. Pedro Eustache, you, you, you better get on this. I think you'd be probably top 10 leaderboard on Trombone You stream Champ. it once and you'll you'll break Twitch. Oh my god. Flute guy just playing trombone. I see it. Flute guy from Game Awards plays Trombone Champ. Best oh, video out there. It's insane. over. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh that's the updates on the game awards. Um yeah. So moving on to more relevant things from this week. So um a couple stories about AI so far. So um as we talked about last week, AI has kind of had a bit of a resurgence in the popular consciousness because of the like the mid-journey AI apps or things where you'll you'll input your um a bunch of your photos and then it'll create some AI art for you at based on those. And there's also other programs that will do that as well based on prompts or certain things like that. Um and recently, like not even recently, but a, a couple of years ago, there was a, a video floating around about Hayao Miyazaki saying that he thought that AI was an insult to life itself. And uh, recently, filmmaker Guillermo del Toro shared his same sentiment. He actually quoted um, Hayao Miyazaki when he was saying it, because um, when he during an interview with Decider, um, del Toro was talking about how, for his new film Pinocchio that just came out, how painstaking it was and how every single little detail was done by hand. Um, every, all these things were, were done just by, by humans, by individuals, by people, um, instead of just a computer making these things based on like sourced images online. Um, what Del Toro said was, I think that art is an expression of the soul at its best. It is encompassing everything you are. Therefore, I consume, I love art made by humans. I am completely moved by that. I am not interested in an illusion made by machines and the extrapolation of information. I would think it, as Hayao Miyazaki says, an insult to life itself. Now, do you, do you feel like that is a... Uh, do you feel like the, the stance taken by Miyazaki and Del Toro is extreme, Kevin? That's an insult to life itself? Or are you in line with that way of thinking? I I think that it definitely like I I remember seeing a t- comic on this uh pretty recently where a lot of people were saying like by having AI art it's like having somebody who doesn't fatigue um can learn things instantaneously almost mm-hmm. and can just like put out work but without any thought behind it yeah. And that that is the that is the truth. And a lot of people were saying like, oh, it's just harmless art. But if if I were to put the same thing into video game terms, it's like, okay, what if I taught a bot the top like the the same 
like mentality as a top 1000 players and I just dropped it in all of your games like is that fair so a lot of people are like it no clearly not like they didn't work for it it's just like well I built the bot that does it so is that fair to you and clearly it's not but the way how I see it is there is AI is is a tool for us to learn from it's not going to replace anything that we we already can't do as humans. So I think that with like you could use it in order to like give you an idea, but it won't have the same like meaning or emotional impact that something that was created by somebody would. So for example, like if you were to AI art, you know, a Miyazaki piece, it probably wouldn't have the same impact in the overall like storytelling aspect of the movie. Right. So I, I yeah. do think that that is also an important thing to keep in mind is like AI art can be art that that people could could look at. But the overall like, I, I guess, expression or like the overall like takeaways from art is the message that it gives and AI doesn't have that ability. So that I don't know that that's like my filmmaker brain like being 100% real. It's like I can't I can't look at AI art and feel the same way that I do from somebody who has created something. Yeah, it looks cool like like we talked about previously, there was that one AI piece that won a uh, an art competition. Yes, it looks cool, but when you when you look at, I guess, the the behind the scenes aspect of it, there was no work there. You plugged in a topic, string of of topic phrases or whatever, and you let a computer do the work for you. That's like that's like comparing someone doing a math test by hand to someone doing with a calculator. There's no real work from the guy doing it by the calculator, whereas opposed to someone just doing it by hand that took work. Is that a good analogy? Yeah. It's just like they, they didn't, we didn't learn anything from it. So yeah, like it's, it's its own thing, but it's just, we, we don't feel the same impact that it, that it originally comes with, you know? Mm -hmm. So to extrapolate this further into an actual real world example, um, there's a guy, his name is Amar Reshi, and he created a book, right? It's called Alice and Sparkle. And this guy is a 28 year old uh, tech worker. Um, and I think in three days, he created a book, right? So, hmm. What he said was he he had an idea. He says, I was going to take a weekend to try to put a book out there. Um, and what he did was he um, he came up with a... So first, Reshi used chat GPT to come up with a tale about Alice, a young girl who wants to learn about the world of tech, and Sparkle, a cutesy robot who helps her, which was the base of his story. So then he, he did some tweaks on it because, of course, AI isn't perfect. So... Um, the AI, I guess, gave him the base ideas of the story and him as the human who knows logic and understands storytelling better than a robot would had to make some tweaks to make it coherent. 
at that point, he then used the AI app Midjourney, which if you know John Oliver, you know the uh, the John Oliver cabbage or lettuce or vegetable art that's on there. Um, but he started putting in prompts like young girl, blue eyes, simple dress, excited, curious. And he eventually generated after after generating hundreds, quote unquote, of um, images, he picked 13 that he used to fill his 14 page book and he put it out there. And it took him, I think, three days, just 72 hours after he decided he wanted to do this. He had a fully realized book, which is insane because just having known people who have published their own books, it's not supposed to be that quickly. Like, I'm not even talking about novels. Yes, I know people have published their own novels, but I do know um, at least one children's book author, and it takes so long to put a book out there you have to create your your story you have to uh, pitch it to the publishing company publishing company has their notes and then they have to find the illustrator that they want to pair you with because a lot of the time you're not picking your own illustrator the the publishing company picks your illustrator then the illustrator and you have to collaborate and work together to, to make this book and then it goes through edits yada 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 it's not a 72 hour process it is a months or years long process to make a book and while this maybe sound like it's making a case for AI to help exp- expedite things and make creating books and things like this a lot faster, no, I am saying the opposite. I am saying that this doing AI like this, um, it again removed the soul, the creativity, the artisanship, the the work that went into actually making a book. And a lot of other authors saw this story, saw what he'd done, and said things like, I'm thinking, is it really that easy to create something that I had to pour my heart and soul into? Um, some some illustrators and authors said, I don't feel he deserves any to earn any money from the book because he has not actually put much work into it. He, um, They're concerned that the use of AI in creating stories will create a proliferation of poor quality stories, both on the writing and illustration side. Um, some folks um, are concerned about just the viability of their livelihood now now that like this guy did you just plug and chug into a, a couple of programs and you got yourself a book you don't have to work you don't have to do anything you just let the AI do it all for you and just amalgamate from what already exists on the internet to create some kind of Frankenstein creation and again I feel like I as I tend to do whenever we talk about new technology or new programs, I feel like I might sound like a curmudgeon, like, oh, you're just you're just scared of new technology. But like, no, I think this is actually pause for concern or cause for concern, not pause for concern, cause for concern. Because like, like back when, I mean, it didn't really take over that much, I don't think. But when you had like deep fakes and you could make anybody say or do anything you want with this technology, that was really scary. This is scary for a different um, reason because I think this is this potentially opens up the door to making a lot of human work obsolete. We're not there yet, obviously, but I mean, it, if we continue down this path, we're just going further towards making art something that we don't need humans for. 
and again, like, not again, but, and it, it's not just, that's not to say that this has gone very swimmingly for Reshi. I think he's gotten a few death threats over it because people are like, oh, this, you're, you're ruining our livelihoods or whatever. Um, and I think he's only sold about 70 copies of the book, but still that's 70 copies in his pocket. But I, uh, I don't like this at all. I think this is stupid and scary and dangerous. Uh, I agree that like he, I don't even know how much of the book he could claim for it to be his own, you know? I don't and that's the thing that like, pretty much I'm mostly like, yeah, like he, he ran the thing through like a, like an AI. Right. And then it just gave him a story. Yeah. Right. Uh, and now, now you question like, was, does it give you enough to like, feel like, like that was worth it. Right. Is it, was it worth it for everything that you like kind of put into it or like, if you could have just written the book yourself and like even given sketches and done it through the regular process, would anybody be talking about it like it there's that and there's also the other the other side of it where if he just if if he made this story using ai like what does this mean for other forms of media as well mm. right are we getting to the point where like I, I mean i i hate to point out the anime community here but bro how many times can you just say oh we killed this guy and sent him to another world like how many times can we isekai somebody and expect it to just be the same thing like you could probably run that through an ai and have a hit show in like two minutes but i i don't i don't like how one our media is getting called out for being formulaic <laughs> and then on top of that it's just like it could just be created it could just be like like i guess wouldn't say copied but more of like it's learned and it's the, the the computer now knows it. And what does this mean for creatives and stuff like that in the future? I really hope that this is a fad though, you know, like again with, with deep fakes, I think in general it came and went, um, I'm not seeing a ton of people posting the um the AI art anymore. Uh I think this is the like this is the only story I really saw this week. Or this and the Guillermo del Toro one were the only ones that were really heavily talking about anything AI. But it feels like maybe the initial wave of interest has passed and like people are looking for something new and interesting to to move on to now, but I don't know. I'm hoping that this really is just a fad and a passing curiosity and that it doesn't become something more normalized and more prevalent in day-to-day -day life. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Miyazaki, he, he announced a new film, right, Kevin? Yeah, he did. At least? Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what he does with it. But um, yeah, he announced that there there's supposed to be a new Miyazaki film. Um the tentative title for now is How Do You Live? Um, 
and it is supposed to hit Japan theaters in July of of next year. Um, so we have some notes of like things that we should be looking for, but we don't know what this means for Miyazaki. And I don't even no, know what it, the poster means. I'm I'm looking at this. It looks yeah. like a bird. Somebody got eaten by a bird or something. I don't. Know yeah, I don't. I don't know either. It, is, is it a bird wearing a bird hat? I don't know. Uh, we we don't know to this day. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a very interesting discussion because we all thought at the very end, and a lot of people were discussing this too, that we thought Studio Ghibli was done. Like there was no Studio Ghibli left <laughs> um, well, they did, they did after the Wind Rises. Didn't they do so, I don't know if that was that was under Goro, right? Yeah. Um uh, let me let me let me double check that. Yeah, Earwig and the Witch, was that it's considered a Studio Ghibli film? Um I guess so. Let me let me double check. Um da, da, da. It is Studio Ghibli. Okay, interesting. Um because I know that this is something that I was like debating. There is a, um, there is another production company called Studio Panoke, so P O N O C. Um, they are made up of previous Miyazaki like animators, and they all came together to create like other movies. So like, I think they did Marie and the Witch's Flower or something like that. Um, it, there is a lot of them that are, it's very Miyazaki-esque. So like it has the same feel to it, um, but it, it might not have the same like impact and style that Miyazaki initially had, but it does have a lot of his animators who were on that project. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people were saying like after the wind rises, they expected that to be the last of it because Ghibli is named after a plane, like a certain a certain type of plane um, that was used in World War II. And the final film of Studio Ghibli, if it was under Miyazaki, would have been The Wind Rises, which talks about the the guy who created that plane. And it was kind of like a full loop. And everybody expected it to be like, okay, so this is Miyazaki's love for the planes. Uh him talking about the the gift of giving you know aerial transportation but at the curse of it being used for war and that was the same thing that he had like as a mentality going into animation it's like he can create this magical world that everybody loves but eventually it could get turned into something that is out of his control um and has become something that is that is bigger than just you know the animation film there's you know the whole anime industry now um and we we all thought like this was the end like he he just wanted that to be the last movie and him wrapping it up but with with this i am very confused (laughs) to say the least i know that miyazaki will never stop until he's literally dead that he always says i i'm done with anime or like i'm done with animation and he'll like He'll smoke a cigarette, throw a fit, and then he'll just be like, two years later, he'll be like, 
I came up with a new story. <laughs> and then, like everybody's like, oh crap. Well, now I got to do this again. But I do think that that is the thing. I feel like Miyazaki, once again, he is a never ending man. So he will always keep coming up with stories and things that push like his storytelling ability and continue on forward. And I feel like this is just another one that's on that list. So clearly I'm going to see it when it, when it hits the States, I'm I want to see how it plays out and what it means. But um, yeah, we're, we're all keeping our eyes out for this one here. I mean, any Miyazaki content, is good content and i am very much here for it <laughs> um so moving on this has been a very big week for henry cavill not necessarily a good week but it's been a big week so as many of you know especially if you had seen the black adam movie um and i think we talked about it too that henry cavill was supposed to come back to play superman it was something that I know Dwayne, the Dwayne Johnson's camp had negotiated very long and hard with Warner brothers and DC folks to bring him back into the DC universe. They were supposed to build this, um, this mini miniature part of the DC EU where black Adam and Superman would fight each other. They were going to be there. They're going to have this kind of rivalry or antagonist antagonism between each other. Um, and that was where the DC universe was supposed to be headed. This is not going to be happening anymore at all, according to James Gunn. Um, James Gunn, of course, is now the head of DC Studios. And according to both him and Henry Cavill, the, the Henry Cavill era is going to be over. Um, he is writing a new film that is um, focusing on a younger Superman. So Henry is out. Um, I know Henry said in a tweet that he, he's upset of course about it, um, but he's happy that like he got to play the part. He got to wear the Cape when he did. He, he's upset that he had just made the announcement that he was coming back and it has been taken away from him so very quickly, but there's other projects for him to work on. So it's, it's not the, the worst thing like for example currently what it seems to be in the works for him and it's this is still i believe in negotiations with amazon is that it looks like he may be producing and starring in an adaptation of the warhammer 40k universe um if you don't know what warhammer is it is a um it's a tabletop rpg game where it's like one of those games where you um you paint the little minifigures um and you do stuff with them i know in third grade i had a friend who was really really into these um i thought they were cool i never really got them i think i only ever got one tabletop rpg game like this it was zombicide and i never painted the figures because i can never decide what color i wanted to paint them and that seems like a lot of work and if i mess up it's kind of screwy um but Henry Cavill, as we all know, is a huge nerd and he is a very big fan of the Warhammer franchise. So this may be the next nerd project that he is in. We will see. Again, this is still within the negotiations phase, getting all the rights secured, signing all the paperwork. But he's got things on the horizon, even if he's not The Witcher and even if he's not Superman. Um, but on, a, on that kind of note, 
Um, the one of the there, there's some chatter that I've seen on the internet. Um, and here's a transcript I'm going to read about why he left The Witcher. So this is from a, I think it's from the Dumas podcast, D-E-U-X-M-O-I. I don't know what this is, but this has been floating on the internet and it was trending. So this is allegedly, according to one party, why he left The Witcher Project. And forgive me, this is going to be very long and I will try to read it as quickly as possible. <clears throat> Quote, I recently got this message and someone was like, do you want to know what really went down? And I was like, sure. So let me just read it. It says at the beginning of the show, Henry was good to work with a lot of unusual demands that made people feel like he wasn't a, a team player, but that's not unusual for a big star though in TV, it truly usually doesn't happen until the second season, but in season two and three, something shifted and he became really impossible for women to work with, which is always a big problem but even worse here because the showrunner is a woman. He would try to overrule her and try to get changes made last minute across the board without her knowledge, which, if you know anything about showrunning, is completely fucked. The showrunner has to sign off on every minuscule detail down to the buttons on a costume. Female writers and show... Excuse me. Female writers and directors were suddenly completely ignored on set, unable to do their jobs. Every department head was complaining. He started making comments. It wasn't a sexual thing, he wasn't grabbing anyone or being lewd, but it was disrespectful and toxic all the same. He's deeply addicted to video games to the point where it was like working with any other addict. He was distracted, he was late, he was obsessive, and a lot of people think that the misogyny came from the gamer world. Video game bro language is not how you talk to coworkers, and he wouldn't stop. Someone on the show compared it to watching get, to watching get brainwashed by QAnon. Like his whole personality shifted. Eventually, his disrespect escalated. He would rewrite scenes without even alerting other actors in the scenes until it was time to shoot. He decided he didn't want to do any romantic, romantic scenes at all. No kissing, no shirtless scenes, etc. He wanted complete control of storylines, but really had no idea the limitations of TV, structure, budget, etc. He formed a weird alliance with one writer who was also a gamer, who eventually got fired after multiple HR complaints were made. And after that, writer left, Henry did anything he could to hold up production and cause problems. Eventually, top brass at Netflix was so tired of him costing the money with delays in HR investigations, and the showrunner was asked to construct a potential exit for him. Netflix reached out to him personally, and he was given one final warning, and violated that warning with an email he sent to the entire writing staff right after that meeting. That was it. So, this is theoretically, not theoretically, but this is allegedly the reason why he was, at this point, kicked off of The Witcher, is because gamer personality was a little too strong and he got a little too high and mighty. And even though he wasn't being explicit and sexual and harassing in that way, he still had a little bit of that misogynistic gamer culture in him, which is extraordinarily unfortunate because I mean, he's like, he's a guy that a lot of people look up to, especially in the geek world, because he's known for being so, knowledgeable and invested in a lot of these franchises and then when you see when you, when you see stuff like the like news like this happen it's just ugh, it, it puts even <clears throat> more negativity on the gamer culture and it either makes people hate gamers more or it'll make the gamers who do this think that it's okay because the king of the nerds henry cavill does it I feel like 
we're also missing that that point that Henry made a while ago. And I, I know that this doesn't like excuse his behavior if this is all true. Um, but I feel like it's also the fact that didn't they say that the Witcher TV series was not like it it was not in the same like storytelling that the original Witcher had, right? Yeah, yeah like the so, um, allegedly the writing staff was not a big they weren't big fans of the, the original one text by Sikovsky, which like I agree with. I hated his books mm-hmm. so much. Just they, it's so dense in for me at least. They were very dense. They were very um hard to get through. They weren't very interesting. There was too much politics of, about the world involved. There was a lot of just excess backstory. There wasn't a lot of action. It it got very easy to get lost with. Again, The Last Wish is a fantastic book. It's the very first book in the series. I highly recommend that one, but the rest of it, it's not it's not The Witcher that we would come to expect from like the games or what you would really want from a show just because it's so bogged down in its its own world building and its own um in-world politics. It was hard for me like and I'm a big reader. Like as as y'all know, I read a lot. I've read a lot of fantasy in my day. Um but just there's something about the Witcher books that took me almost a year to get through that series. And that's a long time for me. So back yeah. going back to what you were saying, Kevin. Yeah, there was um the way that the show was constructed and written is very different from how the original source material is. Yeah. So like the the thing that I was wondering is like is it Henry Cavill's like personal it it the the note makes it sound like he's just after everybody intentionally but what if he is just like a person who is really passionate about the storytelling that and he wants to keep it true to the to to what the the games originally had right yeah and there but it's not his job he's yeah, just the actor he's not the showrunner or the writer exactly so like it it's not his job to interfere with it, but I felt like that part of him is what caused him to act out like this, and it's it's not excusing his behavior at all. Like you do you do not sabotage a show because you you don't agree with what has been written originally. If you're if you're going to be on a project, you you would look over it yourself like parts of it at least and then just be like okay well this sounds good or this you know this doesn't sound good for what i want to do and if that was the case you know clearly they would have hired somebody else who who would work with what they wanted to tell the storytelling of the witcher and then you'll just have henry cavill as one of the one of the millions of viewers who you know just goes to twitter after every episode right yeah so i feel like that is a mistake on Henry's part for taking like for hopping into something that he didn't know and the the question is now like with him wanting to do you know other nerdy like projects I mean it is his passion is he gonna take more time to either understand or want to like enjoy the project itself 
um, before hopping in? Or is he going to make the same mistake again? Right. So mm-hmm. if if he is super nerdy about it, he's got to get into the writing. He's got to do the writing room. He's got to be like there to not only just, you know, read the script and be a pretty face on screen, but also to like dissect what part of the story he as you know the resident gamer like what he wants to get out of the story and that is another thing that like it once again like you don't sabotage a show just because you don't like the way how it sounds but when it does come down to the way how like like the specific messages he wants to deal with in this um i feel like he does like he needs to either have input in it or read over the script before it's made. So I feel like an easy way for him is just be a producer. Just put your money where your mouth is. If you really want that control, otherwise like stay in your lane. Exactly. Just do, do, do exactly that. Just, yeah. Just produce your own damn show, Henry. Seriously. Produce it and then hire yourself for it. That's That's what a lot of folks do. Exactly. Just just do that. So that's the Henry news of the the evening. So sad to see him go as Superman. Initially, I didn't... When he was first announced, I didn't think he... I didn't think he had the look. I think he looked too hard as Superman. I think he looked like... He didn't strike me as the super optimistic Superman that I was used to seeing. But I think he, he definitely grew on me. Um, I'm sad to see him go. I was excited to see him come back for Black Adam. I was really looking forward to that. Um, but with Wonder Woman 3, I guess Aquaman, um, the Black Adam sequels or whatever, pretty much everything that DC was building is being axed except for like the Robert Pattinson Batman that looks like it might be continuing and being uh, written into a new cinematic universe. Um, Jason Momoa might be back to play Lobo, but yeah, DC's all in flux now. So I guess so long Superman for now. Okay, so moving on to some some actual gaming news now, or more gaming news. Um, I don't really follow Markiplier a lot, but I know that he's one of the bigger uh, content creators out there when it comes to like gaming stuff and streaming. Um, so he apparently, and we have two stories about him today. So apparently, um, he rec- <laughs> he recently um, started an OnlyFans. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, this is so weird. <laughs> he started on OnlyFans apparently, and then this is not the right article. I, I linked the wrong article, but apparently he started an OnlyFans that was supposed to be like he, he had to like have several conditions met before he would do this. I know it's supposed to be an OnlyFans to drop the first of three sets of tasteful nudes, and I think like within like what four hours, OnlyFans was like crashing because so many people were subscribing to it. Um, but like he, you had to, um, he, his podcast had to be like number one, like he, his, his viewers had to get him, his listenership to like number one. Then they had to like watch his, um, 
pay $12 to watch the documentary he made about like his, his mother's experience growing up in North Korea or something like that. And then like all the, all after that, all the money would go towards charity. So I guess it, at least it was good that it went to charity, but like the man crashed OnlyFans. Yeah. It, this isn't okay. This isn't his first time either. I mean, not not crashing OnlyFans, but like this isn't the first time of him like releasing tasteful nudes as like an incentive. <laughs> uh, he he does. He's had this holiday calendar a long time ago, where essentially it, it's like a pinup calendar of of he he has a tasteful nudes like calendar that you could just go out and buy. It was it was funny. Um, and everybody was like, oh yeah, it's, fu- it's funny. We, we got, we got the, we got the thing and we're like, yeah, you did it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it, he's no stranger to this. So I, mm. I do think that like that earlier pull really did come down to, to that and how much pressure it, it created on OnlyFans. But, uh, I, I didn't expect Markiplier's, you know, uh, like tasteful nudes to destroy OnlyFans. You would think that it would be something else, like um, like I don't know, Scarlet and Violet gameplay or something like that. But I mean, whatever, whatever it takes, I guess. And then the next Markiplier story we have is that his his show, um, In Space with Markiplier, was nominated for an Outstanding Interactive Media Award at the um, the Family in. Which Emmys is it? the Children and Family Emmy Awards, but apparently nobody on the red carpet, none of the reporters knew who he was, so none of them asked him any questions on the carpet. Which is like, I guess I get it. Like, as a reporter, you're not going to know everybody who's going to be on the carpet, but you get the face sheet, so you know who's supposed to be attending. You know what they look like. You know their names. Um. I don't know if it listed him as Markiplier or by his actual name, Mark Fishbach, but like, I feel like Markiplier, like I don't watch Markiplier, but I know what he looks like and I know that he's a big deal on the internet. So I I think that there was no excuse not to interview him. And it's like, he says he doesn't care. Um, If anything, he said that this kind of just demonstrates the disconnect between mainstream media and internet culture um and it's i don't know it's it's it's, it was weird that no one just at least gave him the courtesy of of a quick interview like i've i've been on carpets before where like i don't care about this person i know i'm not going to use what they say um but they're there might as well interview them anyway like it's not going to take anything away from me i can just delete the interview footage if i don't need it later on um, and a lot of time it just like, especially for like younger actors or, or people who are brand new to being on a carpet, it makes them feel good because like, Hey, someone from the media talked to me, like I'm being interviewed by these big publications. Like this is real now. So, I mean, like just as, as a, as a point of professional practice, I always interviewed everybody that I could. Um, and again, you never knew if they would say something that was like really insightful or really cool that you could use in an interview later. Like I, I would never deny an interview to everybody, to anybody, but apparently they did for Markiplier, which is really interesting. And and again, it does point out that like, 
I guess a lot of the the newer age or the newer media type celebrities are are still kind of left out in the cold. They aren't as accepted as TV stars or movie stars are. I would have interviewed Markiplier, but I I wasn't there. Uh, but it, it also, he also said that, also said that um, the funny thing is, is that if like with, with the following that he has, if he had been interviewed and like there was video footage or like an article that came out of it that quoted him and he shared it, like his following would have made that blow up. Yeah. It, it would have definitely pulled a lot more than, than a lot of people probably would have expected. Yeah, what's your feelings on on this, Kevin? Because I I definitely feel that this was for all of the people who were there, this was a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> you, you done goofed a little bit. Uh, and he the, was nominated the, for an Emmy that night. Yes, um, I I feel like it depends on how you feel as a content creator. Because like I have the same problem. Like if if I have somebody who knows me as Kadashi, right? And I haven't had anybody do this yet, but I've had had it happen in my games. So like I do, you know, esports commentary for a bunch of games overall, but like I guess the biggest one was in Pokemon Unite. Um people will come up to like in the middle of my matches and use their mic and be like, "Oh, are you are you Kanashi from from X Y or Z?" and I'm like, yeah <laughs> like and they're like oh cool it's, it's, it's cool to cool to be with you but like i understand the disconnect of like wanting to keep like your youtube side separate from you know your your public figure that's also something that i'm always afraid of of like you know having somebody nerd out about pokemon if i'm out possibly on a date because like <laughs> you know that would that would be terrible um but I do feel like that is that is the way how it, Would it, be terrible, how it operates. Though, because then, like you've got a fan. I have a fan, but then I have to discuss Pokemon. <laughs> like it'd be like, excuse me a minute, I gotta go talk to this nerd real quick. Like or or, or this that's that point where you say, hey, no, I'm on a date. Fans can wait, and then it's like so impressive that you're this mysterious guy with fans. Come on, yeah, just just don't tell them what play, they know me from. You gotta play it up. You gotta play that up, Kevin. I wish I had just, fans it, flagging me down. I, I I don't know. <laughs> it's just I run into my old bosses on when I'm on dates. It's really oh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it just feels like there there's some moments where like it makes sense, like you you do want this, um, and then other times you're just like I don't I I, I don't need to be bothered right now, um. But for Markiplier, I feel like everybody who missed out on interviewing him on the red carpet just took a massive L, like. You don't know the pull of somebody as big as Markiplier. Just once again, I feel like, you know, you have more experience doing it, but interview everybody. You never know what it could lead to. You honestly never know who you're interviewing until like, well, I mean, you'll know who they are sometimes, but you never know what they're going to say. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've had some, really like insightful and like really fun interviews with people who I really didn't know who they were before I talked to them. And then when, when you sit down and talk and like actually start getting into it and hearing what they have to say, it's like, 
oh, okay, you're interesting. This is who you might not be the most well-known person, but I am actually interested in what you have to say. And like, I can make something good out of this, especially because like at this point, they're not having, they're not jaded by having said the same thing over and over and over in interviews. Like they're still like, they're still fresh. They're still fresh. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So now more gaming drama. So going into the, the Xbox of all things, um, as we've mentioned before, the Xbox acquisition of Bethesda is kind of in a little bit of a, a flux state right now. There are some countries who have approved it so far. The United States does not seem to be one of the countries that is completely on board with it. Um, according to, uh, what's his name? Where is it? According to um, Microsoft president and vice chairman Brad Smith, he feels like the acquisition is fair because PlayStation has significantly more exclusive games. Um, Smith said the FT's case is really based on a market they've identified that they say has two companies and two products, Sony PlayStation and Microsoft Xbox. If you look at the global market, Sony has 70% of that market and we have 30. So the first thing a judge is going to have to decide is whether the FTC lawsuit is a case that will promote competition or is really instead or or is it really instead a case that will protect the largest competitor from competition? Smith also said that PlayStation has 286 exclusive games, while Xbox only has 59. So the administrative judge is going to have to decide whether going from 59 to 60 is such a danger to competition that he would stop this from moving forward. Um, another th- So on, on the FTC's perspective, though, um, they don't believe that Microsoft can be trusted. They're worried that Microsoft can't be trusted and that Elder Scrolls 6 will be a Microsoft exclusive and that will thus um, cause undue, I guess, competition or whatever in, in the gaming marketplace. Um, here's the the FTC complaint. Microsoft's past conduct provides a preview of the combined firm's likely plans if it consummates the proposed acquisition, despite assurances that the company may offer regarding its plans. In March 2021, Microsoft acquired ZeniMax Media, the parent company of the well-known game developer publisher known as Bethesda Softworks. Microsoft assured the European Commission during its antitrust review that the ZeniMax purchase of Microsoft would not have the incentive to hold ZeniMax titles from from rival consoles. But shortly after the EC cleared the transaction, the European Commission, Microsoft made public its, its decision to make several of the newly acquired ZeniMax titles, including Starfield, Redfall, and Elder Scrolls VI Microsoft exclusives. So we knew that Starfall was going to be a Microsoft exclusive, but Elder Scrolls VI is a new title on that list, and I think previously... Microsoft said that it would not be. Hmm. Which is like honestly stupid for Microsoft to do if they were going to make Elder Scrolls just a Microsoft title. I mean, at that point, do you think people would just skip over people like who had PlayStation consoles? Would they just skip over Elder Scrolls 6 or would they? buy the xbox ju- or a pc just to play it i i feel like 
players who have certain consoles will also have a PC. So I, I do think that we'll wait. Just like the the way how most of them go, we usually wait until we we have, I wouldn't say confirmation, but like we we have something that that uh we we have patience we we can we can wait <laughs> um we we don't need to get the game like immediately and i feel like a lot of gamers will share that sentiment with me um and so even if they were to put it as an exclusive for xbox right it we know that it it will eventually hit pc and that's not the same for ps so that's that's the reason why like us as gamers don't really dive into like we we haven't invested in xbox uh that much because we already work on the pc part of it so i i i understand what both sides are are looking at one is like well if if they can't absorb you know abk what does this mean right and at the same time it's like because they are absorbing things that you can play on PC, it's not helping the com- the competitive Xbox market because there's no reason for us to buy it. So uh, it, it just becomes that whole like loop of, is it worth like, is acquiring ABK really going to change how much, uh, how, how the tactic is going to be from Microsoft? Uh, and a lot of us just think, like, clearly, no. There's there's not a lot that it's going to take away. To answer my earlier question, I'll, I, I think for me I was weird because I did buy an Xbox just because I knew that um, uh, Hellblade 2 was going to be a, an Xbox exclusive, and I really liked the first one. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one of the dumb ones who would go and buy the stupid console just for the game. Well, it's it's the other thing too. It's like if you like the if you like the whole thing about it, right? Like if you if you like but a certain Kevin, series. Literally, I bought it just for this one game that's not even out yet. Okay, but like they're but now you're invested. You you just, you got the thing. Now now you just have to wait for the uh the big change, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. Um I I really don't I have no idea whether this lawsuit by the FCC is going to go through. I I have no idea whether or not this is going to go, this is going to be approved in the U S and if it does not get approved in the U S what does this mean for the other countries who've approved it? Or if there's just resounding support from the, all the other countries, will that pressure the United States into allowing this to go through? And it'll be interesting to see what happens to the gaming industry in either case. I feel like it it comes down to if they can get it, what will like what will it mean? Because there's not a lot that like we as players will get out of this decision individually, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like if it, if ABK gets blocked, right? Like if the acquisition gets blocked, like sure, it doesn't affect the way how we play our games, right? Yeah, it. It's really a a political thing of ju- them just trying to figure out if it will work or not for for them. <laughs> uh, 
All right, so moving on to my last little bit of stuff before we get into the Kevin aspect of things, um, which, I mean, this is kind of a bridge from considering it's Pokemon, but um, in the U.S., Pokemon trading cards will no longer feature their iconic yellow border. Um, I believe in Japan, like, they haven't had this for a while. It's been a a silver border in Japan for some point now, Um, but... Now, the in the U.S., at least, the cards that are going to be based on the Scarlet and Violet Pokemon will now feature that silver-colored border as opposed to the traditional yellow one that we all know and love. Um, the official Pokemon site says, Moving forward, the classic yellow borders framing Pokemon TCG cards will transition to the same silver border used in Japan. This changes... This change both frames Pokemon TCG artwork in its originally intended border and further unifies the game on a global level. The subcategory of trainer cards, supporter, stadium, etc., currently located at the top right of the trainer cards will be moved to the top left of the card to be more visible in players' hands. Um, and additionally, the price is going up slightly, 50 cents, from $3.99 to $4.99 in the U.S. because of inflation. But to offset this, there will be three guaranteed foil cards in each booster pack, and all rare or higher cards will be foil. So, yeah, that's the change coming to Pokemon cards. Yeah, I I like the rarity buff. I do like the the idea of getting players the cards that they want. Um, and I once again, like unifying the game is really important too. It it is a global game, so. Being able to have, like, everybody, like, work together, essentially, it it is important. Um, so I do hope that we, we can get everything underway. But I hope that, like, everybody is okay with what's going on in the Pokemon world. It is it is a small change. It, it's literally, like, the border going to be gray now. <laughs> like, but um, hopefully, like people aren't turned off by that completely. I honestly never really paid attention to the border. I could see it going either way where like some people will be like, Oh, I want my old border back, but I could also see people just being like, yeah, I don't care. The border is a border. Alrighty. So, Believe it or not, I don't have a lot of Pokemon stuff this 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 time around. Uh, I have been watching a lot of VGC recently, um, which is the video game competitive. Um, in in the doubles right now, I just I just want to give you a heads up or like, wait, Matt, have you played any of your Scarlet and Violet run yet? I've played Scarlet and Violet, yes. Okay, okay. Um, I, I just want to. Why am I saying and? I've played. I, I'm currently working through Scarlet. Okay. Uh, is is there is there any Pokemon that like you would consider, like definitely like definitely on your team like every single time? Well, currently it's my uh, my Gyarados and my Haunter. There you go. Those are those are solid. Uh, we we have had a lot of like really weird Pokemon. Uh, I, I would say I would say unorthodox Pokemon um, in VGC, and now we have a little bit of an update of like where they're going. So, out of the Pokemon, out of the Pokedex for uh, for Scarlet and Violet, the top picks for Pokemon right now are Hydreigon, 
the the the, the three headed dragon, mm-hmm. Goldengo, which is the evolved form of Gimagul. I don't the, like the that string... one. Uh, I I know nobody likes the string cheese mascot, but we it, it it's got good typing. Um, Garchomp and Murkrow. Murkrow, the 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 regular crow Pokemon. Um, there is a reason for it. I I can go into the nerdy, nitty gritty of it. Um, but those are the top four Pokemon used in VGC right now, in the competitive mode. Um, number five. Uh, if we keep going down the list, it's like Armorouge, Amoongus, Annihilate, um, Grimmsnarl, and Arcanine. Um, and then Indeedy Female is is rounding out that list. But the <laughs> The, the the competitive scene is kind of all over the place. Um, it is because of Goldengo's Make It Rain, um, which is the steel move, uh, where if you use it in battle, in like regular battle, it, it throws a bunch of coins everywhere, and then at the end of the at the end of the fight, you get your coins back. You get you get a lot of money, um, but <laughs> it is a, it's a very strong move. But it has like a, a, the downside is that you lose special attack off of it. And then that's why Murkrow has been number one recently as well, because it is the go-to pairing. Um, Murkrow mm-hmm. has an ability... Uh, I'm going into the nerdy stuff, but Murkrow has an ability called uh, Prankster, which allows any status move to be to go first, to have a plus one priority. So it moves before everything else. So Murkrow has options to go into Tailwind, which ups speed. Um, but most importantly, it has a move called Haze, um, which erases all stats. So what you do is you use Goldengo, you throw all the coins at people, and then you use Murkrow to erase the negative debuff, and then you just do it again. So uh, that that has been the combo. So if anybody is looking to try to break that, um, good luck. Um, Murkrow doesn't touch the ground, so psychic stuff doesn't work. So there, there's a whole bunch of just nerdy stuff overall, but consider, consider Goldengo... Uh, if you do decide to play some competitive games um, in the doubles ladder. So, yeah. Murkrow, Goldengo, Garchomp, and Hydreigon are the top picks at the moment. So, uh, yeah, kind of kind of, kind of, of a weird group of things, but uh, that is what we got in, uh, v- in VGC. Almost said TCG. Um, VGC. All right. Um, going from, you know, a world event to a, I guess, a big online event. Uh, let's talk about Ludwig's chess boxing event. Um, chess boxing. Chess boxing. Um, have, have you ever watched any chess boxing before? I Matt? have. It's fantastic. It's great. It's a great sport. If anybody, anybody who doesn't know the, the regulation like version of chess boxing is two minutes on the board or is it two minutes on the board two two minutes in the in the ring right i think that's it's it. either it's either that or three in three um i think but, the standard round of boxing oh, is two minutes i yeah. think it's been a while since i've since pacquiao's had a fight he's not having any fights anymore so i'm not watching boxing um but i think a standard round is two minutes i want to say it's either two two three or five something like that uh I think it, it de- it's determined on the, the fighters before they enter. But um, for the chess boxing event itself, it was held at USC 
Um, but the uh, it was two minutes chess and then 90 seconds of boxing. Um, so it, it was a very interesting card. There were nine cards total, um, including the first ever female chess boxing match. Um, and there was also a smash boxing event that opened the opened the show. So you had to play, you know, a game of smash and then you go into boxing and then you go back to smash and so on and so forth. But, um, it was a very interesting matchup overall. Uh, there, there was, I believe one of every single type of win, um, in, in the game. So it was, uh, so there was like, you could win by timeout. You could win by stalemate. You could win by checkmate. And then on, in the boxing rounds, you know, TKOs, um, or knockouts in general. So there, there was, I'm pretty sure there was one of each, um, overall the fights were exciting. And then there was a bonus event at the very end, um, which essentially it, it was Ludwig's chess boxing event. Um, and he wasn't participating in any of the fights. He was like, I'm the one who organized it. There was nothing, no reason for me to, you know, get into it. I, I, I wasn't, tra- he wasn't training for boxing, uh, he was more of a promoter for the event, so uh, that's what he did. But uh, at the very end of the show, uh, Ludwig challenged uh, C-Dog VA, who is the voice actor in the anime community, um, one of the members of Trash Chase podcast as well. Um, they they did a slap chess game <laughs> where you, you take a slap to the face, and then you go to the chess board for two minutes, and then you go back and you slap each other again. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely a great way to end the night. Um, overall, a really good event, um, definitely would be down. It was streamed and you could also go back onto YouTube. Uh, Ludwig's team of editors have already, uh, made videos for each individual fight. So if you are interested in watching, you know, maybe your favorite streamer versus, you know the the other person who they happen to be fighting that day. Uh, you can do that. You can watch uh, certain things about the match. That that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a great event overall. Um, I I don't know if at the moment I am definitely not in the proper shape to take on an event like this. But uh, I feel like if I got the call, I would do it. <laughs> what about you, Matt? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I know how to box. I was a martial artist for a very long time. I'm not as good at chess as I used to be. I used to take chess lessons um, after school. I was never the greatest, but I know how to play the game. So it'd be fun just to do. Yeah, I I don't know the chess part. I think I would be more confident in the boxing half. I would have to work on my cardio to get there, but definitely if I got the call, I would do it. Um, I would highly recommend if you guys are going to watch, uh, a couple of the fights, do watch, uh, the Andrea versus Dina fight. So the, the girls matchup, that was a really good, even match. Um, I would say, uh, Chris, Chris abroad's fight was really like really stressful, but it was a good one. Um, myths fight against Churdley's was the lowest chess ranked match, but the highest performance in terms of boxing. So I have to give them that. Um, 
and then you could you could watch the final card with disguised toast and point crow that game that match was really close um and the slap match uh the slap match if you guys want to so honestly like the matches overall were just great highly recommend watching it um it it was a lot of fun to go ahead and take a peek at it Okay, let's move over into the weeb stuff, uh, the the nerdy stuff. So, um, this week, instead of doing a manga recommendation, I've actually been told by by friends to go and watch this certain show instead, and it's not Breaking Bad. Um, <laughs> I am watching Breaking Bad, but it's it's not that um, first time or is, or is this your first time Breaking Bad? First time. Uh, Ooh, where, what part are you on? So I just finished season one. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, I, I'm just getting started. Uh, but yeah, definitely taking me a little bit of time. But um, there it was a show from last season, um, that I finally got around to watching, um, and it's called Call of the Night or uh, Yofukashi no Uta. Um, it is. It's a very interesting story. It's about a kid, a 14 year old guy who has insomnia. Um, and instead of him sleeping through the day and like wasting his life inside of his room, he decides to go out at night and explore the city around him. Um, while he's exploring or uh, exploring the city, he runs into um, he runs into this girl, and uh, at the end, you find out that she is a vampire. Uh, is not is she she uh, she likes the taste of his blood and there's kind of like this chemistry between them. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's a regular dude, vampire girl, opposite of twilight. Definitely fun. Um, <laughs> the, the reason why I like this is not only like the characters are familiar to me because I watched another show that was done by the same author. Um, it's, it's also because of the art direction. And this is something that like, you know, the, I'm putting on my my film school hat real quick. Um, but when you watch scenes during the day, for the most part, you expect it to be like bright, happy, right? And like, you know, that that that's when the light outside and when people do stuff normally, right? But in the show, because it's called Call of the Night, uh, most of it does take place between the hours of ten uh 10 p.m and 4 a.m so um the the nightlife is really contrasted with the way how it is presented in the show so at night there are like very vivid colors at night so blues pinks purples yellows uh greens even so there's just like a bunch of like really like eye-catching colors and that's just the way how they decided to uh, go in the art direction for it but during the day everything is washed out so it's like overexposed almost um and that makes it so that night seems a lot more appealing and it okay, definitely yeah. is one that's a lot of fun to look at so if, if you ever do want to check out uh an, an anime that uh it re it's really fun for especially people who are night owls like myself um, Call of the Night is definitely one that I would recommend right now. And it's mainly just because of the art direction. Um, 
and and the fun of it it's just a way of exploring the nightlife without going outside um so how many episodes um, is it it is 13 episodes um it's not a lot i only have two more episodes left so i have yeah uh, episode 12 and 13 which i'm probably going to get around to uh either later tonight or tomorrow but the story itself is very much on the same like track as what the other what the author has done before so um it's usually a guy who has no idea what's going on and then a girl who has to who enters his life and like shows him like the joy of a certain thing so the first story that this guy had was about a kid who inherits who inherits a candy shop and he knows about candy because he grew around he grew up around the snack shop and like his dad owns the snack shop um but the girl who comes in is like an obsessed like daughter of like a big candy company and she just like geeks out about candy and and stuff like that so if you if you do want to learn about japanese snacks it's done by the same person who does Call of the Night, but it's called um, Dagashi Kashi. Um, that one has two seasons as well. It is a little pervy, but it is informative. I did learn about snacks through through that show, and uh, I have purchased said snacks to try them myself. Um, some of them are pretty good, um, but honestly, it is a very fun series. I would highly recommend Call of the Night if you are an art nerd. And just want to see how color correction can really make a difference um, in a show. So, yeah, uh, highly recommend that. Uh, okay, let me double check this one on this tab just to be safe. Uh, that will be next week. Haha, -ha, I'm smart. Okay, <laughs> I got a I got a math here real quick. Um, this one, uh, this one. All right, cool. Um, so let's go into manga releases this week. Um, this week we had the Attack on Titan Omnibus 8. So if you are looking to collect, um, a couple more of those, go for it. Um, Go Go Loser Ranger 2, um, K-On! The Complete Omnibus, which has all of K-On! Um, Sakamoto Days 5 and Kowloon 2 have all come out. Um, and yeah, I'm, I personally, I'm, I'm waiting on a box to come in that has all those books in it. Cause I, I also ordered, uh, stuff for Christmas for other people. Um, so I just kind of, kind of got it in bulk so that that would definitely help me out, uh, in the future. So, um, as for this week, um, technically next week, uh, we have the 20th is also another big day for releases. I do have the list written out here. I know, I know I did my, I did my research. Here we go. Um, on the 20th, we have Alice in Borderlands 4. We have Blue Lock 4. We have, um, Kaiji 4. And we were supposed to have Vinland Saga 13. So, um, we'll see if Vinland Saga 13 actually does come out next week or if it's going to get pushed to the 27th. Um, I will keep you guys updated on that. Um, if you guys are interested in picking that up, but, um, yeah, the cool thing I do want to mention for Alice in Borderlands 4, um, it is 
a series on Netflix already. Um, you could watch season one now. It covers up to book three. Um, once we get on December 22nd, we're going to be getting season two of uh, Alice in Borderlands, which will continue on forward um, with the manga. And so far, there are a couple of things that are different from the show from the manga, uh, just because of probably budgeting sake. Um, but honestly, it still has that same level of intensity um, that we have all come to know and love. So would highly recommend uh, watching Alice Borderlands as well if you guys are interested or just want to if you miss the feeling of watching Squid Game uh, and you want to watch something that's kind of along the same lines I would highly recommend uh, Alice in Borderlands 4 so uh, definitely keep that in mind as as you continue on forward uh, there are a lot more series coming out in the future um, but this is kind of the big push before Christmas so if there are any books that you are looking for um get them now uh i I would recommend that because probably after the christmas season a lot of people are going to go and buy stuff um another thing i forgot to mention for last week um comey can't communicate number 22 has also been released so um if, if you've liked that show that show is also on netflix um go ahead and check out the uh, manga series as well i do have it on my shelf it is it is a fun set to go ahead and read and, and go over again because it does uh it, it makes it it makes you feel good uh so yeah overall uh manga releases there there's a lot coming out during this part of the season which is pretty typical so if there's any time to go out and get the uh get the books that you want it would be either right now or wait until uh the next wave of books come out and probably after um it would probably be closer to uh, January if you are looking for that. I just saw this thing and this is, I hesitate to bring it up, but it's just, it's so stupid that I have to go for um, it. You know how we, you know how we hate NFTs on this show, Kevin? Oh yeah. The newest line of NFTs that I, I saw this going around on Twitter today. I didn't believe it was real until I, I saw the announcement. Former President Donald Trump has just announced a new line of Trump collectible NFT cards called Trump Cards that are going for $99 each and feature NFT art of him just doing, quote-unquote, quote scenes from my life and my career, but it's just like ridiculous things about like him on like a red, white, and blue elephant or him in a space suit or all this nonsense, him in like a superhero outfit or whatever. And if you buy one, you have a chance to win like things like a, like a dinner with him or like a trip to his, his beautiful, beautiful golf courses. And they are beautiful. So I think we've finally hit rock bottom when it comes to NFTs. No, I don't, I don't think your Trump card is stronger than my blue eyes, white dragon. So I'm going to pass. <laughs> Uh, that's just an unfortunate uh, side effect. Hideous. Oh, uh, I just I just found out Vinland Saga is pushed to next year, uh, to the third. So the also the beginning of the next year is going to be kind of packed too. Um, that is just another thing to keep in mind. So um, yeah, we'll we'll keep you guys updated on all that uh, moving into uh the holiday season and what what to what to spend your money on and what what to 
keep keep in your pockets. All right, Kevin. Any last last thoughts and words of wisdom for us for this week? We've been we've been casting for quite some time. Yeah. Um. Let let let's see. Uh, if if you see a Murkrow in VGC, uh, KO it immediately. Um, I don't have an answer for how. Just do it. It it's gonna set up crazy stuff. It is scary. Um, at least in doubles. Um. But yeah, uh, I hope that everybody's having a great time. Uh, stay warm, stay inside, get get some hot chocolate, and uh, we'll see if we see you next week. Well, Kevin said it. See you next week, guys. Have a great weekend. Adios. Next week, we bring you the latest news and stories from around the internet. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us and rate us five stars on all your favorite podcast platforms. You can also follow us on all social media at TwigPod, that's T-W-I-G-P-O-D. And feel free to send us any questions, comments, or any suggestions of topics you'd like us to cover. If you'd like to advertise with our show, please contact our network at Believe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week in Geek. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.